Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 42. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are starting our big countdown to the release of Toy Story 4. I don't know about you, and it's not that any of these movies have ever let me down per se. I mean, we'll give them our full treatment. We're going to review them over the course of the next three weeks. But I don't really know if we need this movie. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to delve into it, as you said, over the next few episodes. But this trilogy is so complete. I don't know if we need the fourth one. And I'll be honest with you. I, I haven't seen one trailer that has made me that excited to see this movie. It's, it's like, okay, they're going to do Toy Story 4. I'll go see it, but I'm not like super jazzed for it. No, not the way that I was to see the Aladdin remake or really, or Avengers or anything that's coming out this year. This is actually probably one of the ones that I'm like least looking forward to. Yeah, which is insane when you think about when this movie came out. And it's almost 25 years old, which is insane to me. The hype around, I mean, the hype around all of them, but specifically the hype around the first film, I'd say was borderline unprecedented. I mean, I remember when it came out when I was a kid. Well, because nobody had ever seen anything like this before. I mean, computer animation was not even hitting its stride yet. And the fact that they did a full length feature, it was completely revolutionary. Yeah, let's not forget that um, Pixar was keeping the lights on by doing Listerine commercials. <laughs> that is true. Right? That is a fact. And this was basically the film that made John Lasseter John Lasseter. Yeah. I mean, like the John Lasseter that, that we all know, the Disney legend that is John Lasseter. Exactly. So I think we we'll just jump right into it because, I, don't, I mean, I'm sure you have so much to say about this film, as do I. Yeah. All right. So, um... We start the film by seeing Andy, the lead uh, in the film, playing with his toys, and we see what happens when he's done. Uh, the toys come to life, and they have their own little hierarchy. We meet Woody, who's Andy's favorite toy and the leader of the bunch, um, as well as Mr. Potato Head, Bo Peep, Slinky Dog, Rex, RC, the little motorized car, um, as well as many others. Woody finds out that Andy's birthday party has been moved up due to Andy's family preparing for a move themselves. He sends the Green Army men to do some recon and see what new toys are coming to join the gang. Uh, the kids downstairs become overly excited, and while the Army men are down there with their baby monitor, and they're sort of giving the report back on what they're opening. We got bed sheets, we have a lunchbox, etc. and so forth. Rex inadvertently knocks the baby monitor over, displacing the batteries and ending the transmission. Before they can find out exactly what toy has been unwrapped, the kids run upstairs with the new toy, which we find out is a Buzz Lightyear action figure. The kids run back downstairs for games and dessert, and the toys meet Buzz, who does not understand that he is in fact a toy. Woody tries to explain the situation to Buzz, who refuses to listen, and instead proves that he's a space ranger by using his ability to quote-unquote fly. 
The rest of the toys, as well as Andy, are immediately obsessed with Buzz, and it appears as if he has replaced Woody as Andy's favorite toy, which leaves Woody hurt and store neighbor, who is obsessed with destroying toys. After learning that Andy's mom will be taking Andy to Pizza Planet, but will only allow him to bring one toy... Woody devises a plan to knock Buzz behind Andy's desk so that he would be chosen to go with Andy, but he inadvertently knocks Buzz out of an open window and is taken with Andy to Pizza Planet. Buzz climbs onto the back of the van that Andy's mother is driving, and after a stop at a gas station, confronts Woody about what happened. After a scuffle, both fall out of the van and are left behind until they hitch a ride with a Pizza Planet delivery truck um, back to the spaceport, as Buzz calls it. Once they get to Pizza Planet, they attempt to rejoin Andy, but Buzz sees a spaceship and tries to board it in order to get back to Star Command. They end up in a claw machine and are found by Sid, who quote-unquote wins them by retrieving them with the claw and brings them back to his house. After Andy returns home, the toys discover that both Woody and Buzz are missing with only two days left before they move. Back at Sid's, we meet the, (laughs) I call them, the land of misfit toys and experiments, (laughs) which is basically what they are. Um, As we mentioned, Sid, quote-unquote, plays with toys by torturing them, and he dismembers them, and this is basically whatever's left over and whatever he's reassembled. That's the gang that's in uh, his bedroom. So he grabs Woody, and he starts to burn Woody's forehead using a magnifying glass and the sunlight that's coming through his window. After running downstairs um, and leaving Woody by himself, Woody and Buzz attempt to escape, but are chased away by Sid's dog. Scud, and Buzz sees a television commercial promoting his own action figure. He tries to fly to prove that he's a space ranger, but fails in this attempt and admits defeat while slowly losing his mind as well as his left arm. Upon returning to Sid's room, his toys fix Buzz's arm, and we learn that they aren't so bad after all. Sid races upstairs with his new rocket, which is called the big one, and he plans on using it on Buzz before Rain delays his plans. He straps the rocket to Buzz with the intent on blowing him up the next day. The next morning, Sid takes Buzz outside to light the rocket. Woody and Sid's toys devise a plan to save Buzz and work together. Um, As they do that, their plan comes together and... They basically scare Sid into submission in what is a fantastic scene, by the way, Um, sending him running back into his house forever afraid of any toy that he comes across. Andy's family pulls out of their driveway before Buzz and Woody can make it to the van, uh, but are able to climb onto the back of the moving van before Scud grabs a hold of Woody. Buzz jumps on Scud, freeing Woody from his grasp, but falls behind himself. Woody then opens the back of the moving van and grabs RC and sends him to retrieve Buzz, but is thrown overboard by the other toys because there's a big miscommunication here. They think that Woody has totally lost his mind and is just sacrificing Andy's toys at this point. (laughs) They don't realize that he's going to use RC to retrieve Buzz and drive him back. 
So he's thrown overboard, and at that point, Buzz and RC catch up with Woody, and the three of them head back to the van. The toys that are in the moving van see that Woody was, in fact, telling the truth, and they try to help them back into the moving van, but RC's batteries die before they can do so. Uh, Woody and Buzz decide they're going to use the rocket to get back to the van. Uh, Woody lights a match that he had obtained from um, Sid. However, as soon as he lights it, a passing uh, car blows the match out. As he's upset, he realizes that his hand is starting to burn because of the sunlight that's coming through uh, Buzz's helmet. So he uses that sunlight to light the rocket, and Woody and Buzz are holding on to RC. They let RC go into the moving van. They themselves... uh, Fall with style. Fall with style, thank you very much, into the van where Andy and his mother are. And, of course, Andy is very happy that he's got his toys back. We then uh, fast forward to Andy's new home on Christmas Day where the same thing with the recon. Uh, They have the baby monitor. The army men are in the Christmas tree. Molly, um, his little sister, gets a Mrs. Potato Head much to the enjoyment of Mr. Potato Head, while Andy gets a new puppy. Um, I think that it goes without saying that the concept for this film is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love that they took something that we knew and they took all of these recognizable and nostalgic toys that are so familiar to familiar to us and they shift the perspective to put you on the toys level but they take it one step further than that and the world that they create is absolutely amazing you know I I think that with this movie it was going to be revolutionary no matter what because it was the first fully computer animated film but I think what makes it so iconic now is how they did it with with the story and these characters yeah i think i mean look anybody that's ever had toys has played make-believe with their toys and they've put them in situations where they're fighting against each other and they're working together and i think secretly um at least some people not all but some have wondered what would happen if their toys would come to life and i'm sure that some people in their mind had their imagination going where their toys did have a life outside of being played with. And I think that that's why this movie transcends generations, because it's something that every child who has ever watched this film has connected with. Yes. And what's brilliant about it, too, is that, you know, I remember the first time watching this, and you kind of think it's going to be a movie about Andy, and it's going to focus around him and... I always kind of thought that, you know, in seeing the trailers, that it was just like he leaves the room and we get a few scenes where the toys come to life, but it's really about him. But it's not at all. As soon as he leaves the room, it's almost like an office comedy because all of these characters have such big personalities and it really does become a buddy story between Woody and Buzz. Andy's a secondary character, essentially. Correct. And you brought it up before. It has that office sort of environment. And I mentioned earlier that there's that hierarchy. Mm -hmm. But I love the human element that they give these toys, more specifically the adult human element where they have a social life 
They have meetings. They understand their role. The plastic corrosion meetings? Yes, exactly. It's such a great little toss away. You know, the are they or aren't they between Woody and Bo Peep? Yes. I mean, I just... What I love about that so much is it not only makes them feel more real, but it's enough where a kid enjoys watching toys come to life, but there's also enough there for the adults to enjoy. I don't watch this film. And and, and remember, this is a movie about toys in a little boy's room that have come to life, but I don't feel like I'm watching a children's movie. No, and it's funny too because as you were giving the plot before, I was sitting here thinking about it and it's a simple story in terms of beginning, middle, and end, but what makes it so complex is the relationship between these characters. Absolutely. You're right. It's it's not that it's that intricate. It's it deals with I mean it deals with real life problems. It deals with envy, it deals with jealousy, it it deals with, you know, your feelings being hurt and it, you know, it, it sort of, it, it ties itself up so nicely, but you're right. It's, it's not just Woody and Buzz and their conflict with each other. It's Woody's role with Andy and how it changes, Woody's role amongst the other toys and how it changes, mm-hmm. how he needs to adapt in time because he he's very resistant he doesn't want to give up and we'll get into the characters more in a few minutes but he doesn't want to give up that control right and he needs to learn that sometimes you have to let go i mean there's just that within itself is very powerful so you're right it's elements like that and those relationships that really make the film more complex than it really is and that's not to downplay the film but that's I think that's what makes it so endearing and so interesting and why it has so much watchability and why it has stood up, you know, almost 25 years later. Right. And they really waste no time setting it up either, because as soon as the opening credits are done, you know, you've established that Woody is Andy's favorite toy and he's playing with him and they set up. Andy's birthday and moving right away just in that little conversation with his mother and then you know even still they do their recon and they get a little bit of a breather where they think they're done and there's no new toys that are going to replace anybody and then Buzz comes out and it's you know we've established this whole little world of order and Everything is immediately flipped on its head. Yes. And that's just so brilliant. And I think that's too where you enjoy it even more as an adult than you do as a kid. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because you're you're shaking you're shaking the apple cart a little too much. And they almost you know what it is? It's not that the rest of them don't know what to do because they've all kind of come to terms with with the fact that Woody's the favorite. It's, and he's it's, kind of their favorite too. Like he's established as their leader. The only one that you can tell has an issue with Woody is Potato Head, but Potato Head doesn't really get along with anybody. I was going to say, I don't think Potato wants to take orders from anybody. Right. So you're, you're, you're correct in seeing how that change occurs, how it 
occurs specifically with Woody, you know, I think most adults at this point, whether it be on a personal or professional level, have dealt with something similar to that. A shakeup in in your company or a shakeup in your social circle. Right. Like where you're due for promotion or something and then out of left field, somebody comes, you know, nepotism and takes it from you. Exactly. And what's really smart about it is from a child's perspective, they understand Andy has a new favorite toy. Mm -hmm. So that's all they need to know. But for the adults, it's so much deeper. I mean, I don't think I can stress enough how brilliant this script and this plot is. I just, I don't, at, at the risk of repeating myself, and let's put this to bed right now, I'm going to repeat myself. <laughs> I'm going to over the next three weeks, okay? Yeah. I'm going to do it. This, to me, is just, it's, it's brilliance. I don't know what else to say other than it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard you know, usually we'll we'll save our or we try to save our recap for the end. I, I was, you know, listening back to a couple of episodes and <laughs> we bury the lead quite often. But it's very hard not to with a movie like this, because this is another one of those. We're going to spend like the next 45 minutes talking about how near perfect it is. Right. Because I I have like one nitpicky thing and it's it's barely it's barely a fault I have a couple of things, but it's same thing. It's nitpicky and kind of dumb, but it's just a couple of things that stand out to me and nothing that's really, it's not going to ruin the film for me. Right. I do want to go back to what you were talking about before um, with the introduction of Buzz into this world. Um, and we are going to get into the characters, you know, a little bit more. We'll circle around to them in a little while. Um, but, it's just so perfectly balanced when Buzz arrives. Like, you know, it's like I said, you've created this little world and there's so much order and everyone has a role and a purpose. And I mean, maybe that's just me because it appeases my OCD, but I just love that there is just such a sense of place for all these toys and they're they're they know that they're there for Andy but it does go one step further because everyone does have a part to play um but then you know when Buzz gets there like I said everything gets turned on its head and that scene when Buzz first arrives where there's that little back and forth of you know Buzz is giving all of his I'm from you know I'm from outer space and the evil emperor Zorg is about to attack it's just so funny because Woody's jealousy trying to pull him back to reality telling him that he's a toy and Buzz's delusions they're just so perfectly balanced and then you get so absorbed in that argument you don't even realize that you know it, it kind of pulls you back to reality because then Andy starts playing with Buzz more and it is so relatable because he is a child and he's growing up and his tastes are going to change. And that's where this is like the perfect family movie because we're all interested in how we relate to Buzz and Woody and the kids are going to identify with, you know, gee, there's this new craze. Like, I mean, I went through a ton of cycle, you know, I, I used to love the Ninja Turtles cause I was a weird little girl and then I had my Barbie phase too. And, you know, it, 
it, it's not that I loved one toy more than the next. It was just what I was interested in at the time. And I think that's what's so great about Andy is that's so realistic. Yeah, my I, I was Ninja Turtles. I was the Ghostbusters. I was the WWF action figures. Um, but what I remember, the, the probably the biggest craze more than anything was right around the time that this movie came out, actually, about two years before this movie came out, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. When they were teenagers yeah. and they were human beings, not when they were space ninjas or aliens or whatever bizarre version of the Power Rangers that I think Disney now owns anyway. Um, when that first came out, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, I remember standing online at KB Toys. This used to be a toy store, kids. You used to actually <laughs> go to the store to buy your toys. <laughs> It didn't just do it on your mom's phone, and then two days later, the magic of Amazon, and boom, your action figures are at the door. You have to actually go to your store and buy a toy and hope they had it in stock. Every Tuesday, the Power Ranger truck came, and you didn't know it was going to be on it. All you knew was that your mom was going to stand online with you for two and a half hours. Come hell or high water, you were walking away with a toy because there was no way she was going to stand on that line for you for that long and not buy at least a $5 action figure because they used to only be about 5 bucks. Now you go get an action figure and they're $20. It's insane what, what toys have become. But similarly, I actually think that the Power Rangers are a very good comparison to Buzz Lightyear because, yes, I had my Ghostbusters, I had my Ninja Turtles, I had my WWF, but I also had more of your childish toys. Your Legos, your blocks, your puzzles, um, your stuffed animals. And I remember when I first saw the Power Rangers with friends of mine at our place upstate that had them. I'd never seen them before, but as soon as I saw them, and you could actually morph them, yeah. I was like, this is the coolest toy I've ever seen, and I have to have it. And slowly but surely, the stuffed animals, the drawstring toys, they started kind of taking the back seat to these new shiny Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with Morphin Powers and they, you'd had a button on their back and they would kick and punch. That's the same thing as Buzz Lightyear. You're watching Andy, as you said, his taste changed, but he's growing up from the pull-string cowboy to the pulsating lasers flying spaceman, the sci-fi action figure. No, and it's true. It's also an interesting commentary on technology. I mean, not that Buzz comes with a touchscreen, but he is more advanced than Woody. So it's not just that Andy's going through a phase, it's that he just does more. And it's easy to kind of take the attention away from, you know, and I, I think it's also a commentary on on growing pains a little bit is because when you're that young, I feel like you use your imagination a lot more. And, you know, Andy's probably also transitioning when he's not going to just play in his room or play, you know, and he's got all of his friends over for his birthday. He's going to be playing with people. Um, so I think that's where, where Buzz does kind of take over because there's just simply more to him. And you're also talking about, you know, they, they do, it's very subtle, but it, it also does kind of play into the setup is that he's got all of these cardboard boxes with this old West town drawn on them. And every, you know, even Mr. Potato Head and Rex, they're all, they all play a part in this little town. 
even though they have nothing to do with a Western, you know, Andy's just using his imagination with all these toys. Buzz comes from a world that's been pre-established because he's an action figure. So you don't have to use your imagination as much because it's been fed to you. Buzz Buzz comes with a whole storyline. Right, right. He's Star Command and Emperor Zerg, and you're right. It's um, it's not as it's not as broad as that's a dinosaur, that's a slinky dog, that's a cowboy. Exactly. This is Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Yes. So yeah, I I definitely agree with you there. I think that um, the humor in this film still holds up for all of the and reasons. Then some. Yeah, for all of the reasons that we mentioned before. Um, I love that Buzz is a complete cheese ball. And that he's kind of a fish out of water, but he just, he's so into his identity and you, and it's so military. That's the thing. It is very military and this is my job and this is what I do and I'm so serious about it because that's what ah, his- Ah, law enforcement. Yeah, that's what his backstory is. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that was done really well. I love the fact that Rex is neurotic. Oh my God. So good. I just think, you know, it's the the interesting thing is that I think that this film in totality, it's almost like Inside Out before there was Inside Out. It's like a complete overview of the human condition because you have you have your leader, your stoic leader in Woody. You've got your hothead in Mr. Potato Head. You've got um, neurotic Rex. But it's also like human emotion. You've got jealousy. Right. You've got ego. You've got neuroses. It, it's all of that. Yeah. And in a way, it's it's all kind of this weird coming of age thing. And I, I do think that, at, you know, from the plot perspective, it totally holds up. I love the whole give me a hand thing. We didn't I didn't really explain the scene as I was going through the plot, but there's a scene where after Well, well that's why we do it. The plot is an overview. Yeah. Now now we're going to break it down. Plus, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's listening to this podcast who has not seen Toy Story. Right. And I also you don't want to hear me blabber on giving the plot for 20 minutes either. But after Buzz falls um and his arm breaks, after he tries to fly the second time and fails, Mm -hmm. Woody is trying to snap him out of it. And Buzz now, as I mentioned, is like come to terms with the fact that he's not actually a space ranger and he is a toy, so he doesn't really understand what his purpose is anymore. He is Mrs. Nesbitt. He is Mrs. Nesbitt. And the toys across the street, um, or next door, I should say, see Woody through the window, and he's trying to prove to them that Buzz is there, and he goes, Buzz, give me a hand. And Buzz literally throws him his arm. Yeah, it's such, it's kind of like a wah wah moment, but yeah. it's still funny. Yeah. Um, Especially when, you know, it's cut against the rest of them who believe that Woody is a saboteur at this point. Yes. And they, Buzz kind of delivers on that now. Yes. It's, it's really good. Um, you know, originally, Woody, let's talk about the the plot again for a moment. The original plot for the movie was that Woody was actually a villain after all of this happened. And it kind of would have worked. I'm glad that the movie turned out the way that it did because 
Woody is see Woody is is sort of he's an interesting character because he's so he's so likable in the beginning and then he's just so frustrating as a villain it would have worked you know it is interesting that you say that because i said that i found fault not even fault it's it's tiny but my one thing about this movie is that i think it was very out of character to for woody to push buzz out of the window because even though he's crazy jealous of him, he is supposed to be this really even keel leader. And I thought that that was going one step too far. Now, you do need it as a plot point, but I do think it is a touch out of character. Now that you say that, it does completely make sense. Yeah. I think making Sid the villain was probably the smart thing to do because I don't know that I would have wanted to watch three films of Buzz and Woody butting heads. Agreed. And Sid's character is so brilliant. Like, we're, we're going to get into that, but I, I just love him as a character and as a plot device. Yeah, we'll, we'll dissect him a little bit more in a few minutes, but as dumb as it sounds, the two things that stood out to me in regards to I don't want to say things that bothered me, but things that I kind of went, hmm. One thing, and it's so dumb, but I, I just think about it from the perspective of an adult now. You're moving in less than a week, and... Nothing is packed. Not only is nothing packed, and not only are you hosting a birthday party, but Andy takes all of his posters down to put new posters yes. up. Again, it's not the end of the world, but as an adult, you just sit there and go... No, like I'd I'd want all this stuff packed up already. Right. Well, I I was thinking the same thing, and I mean I understand they it's it's they, symbolic, right? And they needed to show how Woody is being replaced in every single aspect. I think there were other ways that they could have done it. Although, you know, on the spot now, I'm I'm having trouble thinking of a better suggestion because it it, it does take place during a montage too. It's not like you could. It, because of the way they set it up, there's nothing that would have necessarily revealed that in the dialogue because all of the dialogue with Woody threatening or Woody feeling threatened to be replaced comes out from the rest of the toys because they keep kind of ribbing him. They're all obsessed with Buzz and then they keep ribbing him about it on top of it. So it's like we get it and Woody recognizes it, but now we all start to see it. So. I'll kind of let that one slide. But I think the other thing is that we know they're moving. It is supposed to, I think it's supposed to show a little bit of a passage of time because they said that they moved Andy's birthday party up. So that does create a sense of urgency where you think they're moving sooner rather than later. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I almost feel like it was kind of like a, eh, we'll let them finish out the school year kind of thing and move over the summer. Right. And again, it's not as if it's not as if everybody is watching this movie through the eyes of a 30 year old. You do need a five year old to understand that Woody has been replaced. The only way that they maybe could have done it. And again, it's like I, I'm, I'm even surprised that we've spent this much time talking about it. I can be honest with you. No, but it's noticeable. You're right. Um, you are right. The only thing I would have thought to do would have been like if they were cutting back and forth. You'd have to do it almost throughout the entire film, but cutting back and forth between getting the new house ready 
and getting the old house packed up and like Andy's playing with Buzz and Woody because he takes them everywhere and they go into his new bedroom and Woody sees that, well, guess what? Now there's Buzz Lightyear curtains and there's Space Ranger lamp and a bed sheet and it's the only way maybe that you would have seen that that jump yeah. where from an adult perspective, I would have been saying, good, you're getting your life in order. Pack up and move. <laughs> um, but it's it's not necessary. The, I no, will tell especially you, because this is 1995. And I mean, to think of what they did achieve, you're going to make them do a whole nother set just to get some Buzz Lightyear curtains in there. And I'm sure that I've just driven the masses crazy because people are saying, you're tearing apart a beloved film. No, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm just saying from the adult perspective, it stands out. Honestly, the not packing bothers me more than the posters. The one issue that I actually do have is partially with Sid. I think I know where you're going with this. What parent yep. Yep. would allow their child to behave this way? Would allow their child to have multiple padlocks on their bedroom door, mm-hmm. to play with explosives... To destroy his little sister's toys and never gets in trouble for it. And no, and it was like wide out in the open when he took her toy. Yeah. Um, no, I'm glad that you bring that up, though, because that was always kind of a resounding question as I watched this growing up, because Sid is a sociopath. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Woody's plan... And his reveal of the toys probably saved whatever town they're living in from like some sort of tri-state killing spree. Um, Yeah. Because Sid's nuts. Um, But they do kind of address that as far as Sid's character. And there's a couple of little subtle hints that he's got kind of absentee parents. Um, When he initially takes Hannah's toy, his sister Hannah... Uh, she does go crying to their mom, but we never really see the mom. And there's the other point where Woody throws his voice to sound like a mother to get Hannah out of the room. So I kind of feel like she either works a lot or she's like super distracted by something where she's not always around. And that's why when Woody is calling to Hannah and she thinks it's her mother, she like runs out to go find her. Um, So I kind of get the impression that she's not around a lot. The other very subtle thing is when Woody and Buzz have to go hide in other rooms and Buzz sees his commercial on TV. There is a man sitting in the chair and he's kind of surrounded by all of the this like garbage. And there's a couple of cans. Now, if you look very closely, they are soda cans. But I kind of got the impression because it is the middle of the day that they were hinting at a deadbeat dad. Um, so with that said, I, I kind of see where nobody's watching Sid, where he's getting away with this. However, what I do want to know is before you could pretty much Amazon prime anything, how are you ordering explosives in the mail? Yeah. That's more my question than what kind of parents are letting him do this. Right. Because what kind of parents are, are ordering the explosives for him? He's a kid. Things called the big one. Yeah. He doesn't have a credit card or a check or money order like you saw in the infomercials. Right. He's not Kevin McAllister. Like, where did you get this thing? Yeah. He he doesn't have the means to give the three easy payments of twenty nine ninety five <laughs> plus shipping and handling. But wait, but there's wait. more. <laughs> you get a second rocket. 
Just pay additional processing and handling. <laughs> Blow up two toys for the price of one. Yeah, but otherwise, I I do love the script. I love the plot. I love the little Easter eggs. Like, did you notice um, on the... Um, on the bookshelf in Andy's bedroom, there's a book called Tin Toy, and Lassiter is the author. Did you catch that? I did not, but that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the yeah, Mickey... let's drop a little history. Yeah. Go for it. Well, basically, Lassiter came up with the idea based on a short that they had done where they animated a baby that was chasing around a little tin toy that you would you know a wind-up toy that baby looks terrifying by the way yeah it does it's like baby herman kind of coming to life yeah and like really rough early computer animation from the mid 80s but they took that story and turned it into this film so you know i'm happy that they were able to at least give him that little that little easter egg and you know it's funny i only noticed it for the first time today well, I think that's it. Having done a little bit of research into how this film came about, um, yeah, that's a pretty br- brilliant Easter egg. I mean, I think I most people know with Disney Pixar now, the the big Easter egg is the A113 and where you can see that. That was their room at CalArts, I right. believe. It's the license plate on, on Andy's mom's van. No, and you see it in a bunch of other places. It's in Wally. It's in Monsters. Like, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um. And I thought that that's what you were getting at, but no, I did not see that book. But uh, yeah, that is that is where Toy Story came from. Um, but Woody was initially, aside from being a villain, he was supposed to be, be more of like a ventriloquist dummy doll. That was the the initial concept for him, right? which would have been terrifying, so I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, I think it would have had a little too much Chucky to it. I think it would have freaked kids out. But they, they're they going for it in the fourth one because it's in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they've just found a way to repurpose it and it'll hopefully not scare too many children. Well, I can promise you one 33-year-old that it's going to scare. Yeah. I, I love... I, none of that. None of that. I hate I, it. I love the little Mickey Mouse watch clock on the wall in yes. Andy's bedroom. And you know what I really um, what I really like is the flip on Christmas morning where Buzz is now concerned. Yes. Because it's the first holiday that he's spent doing what these toys have done basically every holiday since they have come into existence. Um, did you notice that when they, they called him Mrs. Potato Head... And Potato Head goes, I got to shave. And he pulls his mustache off. Speak and Spell is behind him. And he spells out Hubba Hubba yes. on his screen. That's that's one of my favorites. And um, in the beginning, too, where um, uh, I think it's 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 at the meeting um and i love that woody's podium is on top of the tinker toys like that's just so clever um but i think rex is talking to him and mr potato head pulls his lips off and starts kind of hitting his hiney with them yeah um that's just one of those brilliant little touches it's hysterical yeah um when you're in sid's house he's got his toolbox with all of his you know his tape and his whatever it is he uses to destroy toys it's a binford toolbox 
Did you ever notice that? No, I didn't. It's a Binford toolbox. That's great. And I remember seeing that in theaters when I saw this movie on it upon its release and just being so excited because I was a huge Home Improvement fan as a kid and I still watch the reruns. You still are. I still yeah. I love Home Improvement to this day. And yes, I have a television that has the air TV, the antenna, and I I do get a couple of air channels, and one of them is the Laugh Channel, and they have the old Drew Carey show and Third Rock from the Sun and um, and Home Improvement. So I have officially turned the page. I am now getting old as I watch my programs on antenna television. <laughs> <laughs> but um, just like... I saw growing up in my house, but um, yeah, I, I just thought that that was a great touch and it makes me laugh every time I see that bin for toolbox. You know what else I thought was a really nice touch too? Um, and it's not just with the Easter eggs, but there is so much attention to detail in this film. Um, just like the scuffing on the door and the walls. I don't know if you caught that. Like it's, it, it's such a balance between this world of toys that they created in reality because you know you're you're shrinking down to their size but you see there's like dirt marks and because it's a kid's room and I'm not just talking about Sid's house I'm talking about Andy's room too right. yeah let's talk about the animation here um obviously it's the first computer animated film you know ever done in terms of a feature um it's funny that you bring that up because there are for the most part, scenes where the animation is still very impressive and it still holds up. And there are elements where the details really do show. What right. stands out to me now, and it's not to say that the film looks out of date and it's not to say that the film looks bad, so let's not mix signals here, but some of the facial features look flat compared to what they're able to do now. Look at the details on Andy or Sid's face or on Molly's face and look at the characters in Coco. Specifically, look at Mama Coco. We spent a lot of time talking about how amazing she looked now, when given, we reviewed there's, Coco. There's like a 22-year age gap between the two films. Mm -hmm. Coco doesn't exist without this movie. Um but that's something that stands out to me. Yeah, but you know what? I think that might be a stylistic choice because this is not supposed to be... It, Coco is a movie about people. This is supposed to be about the toys. The toys are supposed to be the stars. So I think, you know, whether it was the technology of the time, I, I'm kind of glad that... The toys are supposed to be the ones to stand out. They should be perfect. So I'm okay with the humans not being like completely picture accurate. Right. And and the toys are perfect. Make, make no mistake about no, it. You get and that the plastic sheen. There are a couple of sets where I just want to hit refresh, if you will. Like <laughs> it doesn't look like it fully rendered and I mean I I don't want to pick on it because this movie like I said I said it before it's it's completely revolutionary and you know it's it's not like it's 8-bit it's it's not awful but there are just a couple of sets where they do look computery and it it almost looks like 
they, they could have just added like one more layer to make it pop off the background a little bit more. Yeah, some of the shadowing is a little bit off, but I, I don't think that it's a knock against the film. No. I think it's it's a it's a compliment to what they you know, in regards to what they were able to accomplish then. And I think it's also a compliment to how these animators, how talented they are, and the magnificent magnificent jumps they've been able to make in the last 20 years. Right, because I, what I don't think a lot of people realize is that this actually did come out the same year as Pocahontas. And for me, I don't even, like it's two completely different timelines. I, I find it hard to believe that they were in the same year because, I don't know, I guess in my mind, Disney had stopped with the hand-drawn animation for a while and then they started getting into Pixar, but they were released the same year. And if, if you think about, you know, how far they came, it, it's amazing. I remember being a kid watching, you know, the making of that they ran on like ABC during the wonderful world of Disney or it was on the Disney channel yeah, and or they something. showed you how they like built Woody from the, just the lines and they, they layered him. Not just that, but f- the, you know, weird things have stayed with me throughout my entire life. And to this day, like I'll remember something strange from a week ago that wasn't even that important, but it just stood out to me. The one bit of trivia that stood out to me from the day I saw that making of 25 years ago. And it's like my one trivia question that I always, it's my go-to is it took them six months to do the hair on Andy's head. I don't know why I remember that, but it just stood out to me is it was only to do the hair on his head. One character, just the hair, took six months. No, and that's where, you know, I feel like a jerk picking apart some of the sets because what they did achieve was truly amazing. But for the time period, I mean, you look back on it now, if you look at the making ofs, and they're still using you know, like those big clunky computers. Like you would think that this is in the age of like flat screens and like these really sleek looking computers. And no, these were done on, you know, probably something similar to the first computer that your family ever got in in the home. Right. And there was no basis of comparison. They They were the basis of comparison because there was nothing else like it. They were the OG. They were the trendsetter. So they didn't have anything to look at and say, oh, we could do it like this. They were really creating their own art form. Right. No, and most of it was just, you know, they got everything done on the storyboards. They laid out the whole movie. The actors came and they laid the voices down. And they were starting to animate during that time. Um, and essentially they were doing it from scratch, but they did actually build a couple of models and they were able to scan them in the computer. So they did, it, it was like early motion capture, the technology that they were using at a time. And you're talking about a company that, like you said before, was keeping themselves afloat with Listerine commercials. Yeah. Um, I think the cast is absolutely phenomenal. Yes. I, I don't see, there's... They're so iconic. There's nobody that could play these roles other than the actors that did. The and actresses, of course. Only other person that I have in mind, but it it's not even that I think he would have certainly not done it better, but I guess because they just sound so similar, maybe Mel Gibson is Buzz. 
but he was already John Smith. And like I said, it came out the same year, so they obviously weren't going to be able to double down on him. But um, that's really the only thing I was thinking of. And again, it, it's not even like I would prefer Mel Gibson. I don't. Disney wouldn't at this point. No, <laughs> no, no way. It's a good thing they got him to be John Smith when they did, because that ain't going to happen again. Um, but there, there's just a lot of similarities I find in their voices. But, um, you know, Disney loves Tim Allen. You know, it's it's not just... Uh, home Improvement on ABC. It's the Santa Claus, and because the Santa Claus was out by now, I think. Uh the Santa Claus came out a year before this. Yeah. Yes. Um. So I yeah no I'm I'm glad that they stuck with him. So do I. Um, I said it before. I love Buzz Lightyear. I love that he's a cheese ball. I love the persona that Tim Allen gave him. In regards to both Tim Allen and Tom Hanks. They're playing characters, but those characters do kind of mirror them as people. Like, as as weird as it sounds, when I watch some of the mannerisms on film, I look at the I look at Buzz Lightyear and I go, that's Tim Allen. That that stance, right? Yeah. Or like when he when he gets like really um exaggerated with his movements when he gets very eccentric and the eyebrows too tim allen does a lot with his eyebrows and you know buzz lightyear does it, it's almost like the rock with the one one yeah. eyebrow up yeah and um when woody kind of buckles his knees and throws his hands up in the air like that's that's tom hanks that's that's early tom hanks it's also kermit in a yes. lot of ways but yeah that that is early tom hanks um, and I, I mean, Hanks is great. Uh, Hanks is another one that Disney loves. I mean, he played Walt Disney for God's sake. That's true. You know, <laughs> that, so, yeah. How lest we forget that. But you know, Tom Hanks. When this movie came out, I mean, this guy was on fire. He had Forrest Gump. He had Apollo thirteen. This had come out. I mean, Tim Allen was just, or uh, uh, Tom Hanks, I should say, was just hit after hit after hit. I mean, this guy, he didn't miss. For a good 10 years, he couldn't miss. Yeah. Um, and they got him at the right time. And I love the fact that Tom Hanks specifically has embraced being Woody the Cowboy. Oh, totally. No, he's he's totally down to, you know, humor kids and, you know, kind of play up on it if he sees them. Although Tom Hanks, I feel like... He's down for anything. Did you ever see those pictures that were released where yeah. this kid, for those who have not seen it, I highly, highly recommend you go find it. There was a kid that got bombed in a bar once and he passed out at the table and somehow Tom Hanks got a hold of his phone and took a whole bunch of pictures. He took selfies with this kid passed out. Like, can you imagine waking up the next day and looking through your phone? Like, there's that immediate sense of, oh my God, what happened last night? And that's what you find? Freaking Woody on your phone? Yeah, no kidding. Or how about the video of um, he's going for a run in Central Park and he sees the wedding and he walks over and he's like, oh, let me go take some pictures and introduce myself to the wedding party it's amazing and it's not you know what too it's not even an ego thing like i'm tom hanks who wouldn't want me at their wedding it's just, he has fun with it yeah totally true um i love um don rickles Ugh, as potato head doesn't he's perfect yeah um i think ham is just funny 
and um, that's um, oh, uh, and the, the actor's name escapes me. He was on Cheers, and then he was um, he was the underminer in um, The Incredibles. His name will come back to me later. Oh, geez. Uh, why didn't I write this down? Well, because th- they're, they're all such name actors. They're all on the tip of your tongue. But I just, uh, I love his sarcasm that he brings to Ham. Yeah. Because he, he juxtaposes well against Potato Head. Right, because, because they're head, both kind of sarcastic, but not not where it's, it feels like it's the same. Right, because Ham is a little bit more soft-spoken, and I don't want to... Well, I'm going to say, he's a little bit smarter than Potato Head. It's not to say that Potato Head is not intelligent, but he's just... He's a little too get-off-my-porch. You couldn't have two characters he like is, that. He is, and Ham is always putting him in his place when he's like, calm your spuds or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Jim Varney... As yes. Slinky. Unfortunately, I think this was his only go around as that character. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think he think made, he it made the, the second, second one, no. Um, Annie Potts as um as Bo Peep. She does she does as good a job as she's gonna do. It's Bo Peep, I mean, obviously we know that Bo's gonna have uh, a, you know a really elevated role in the fourth film, mm-hmm. but she did kind of do a good job of playing that sort of seductress thing with Woody, but also being, you know, maternal towards the group. Right. Because when you think of her in Ghostbusters, it, <laughs> it's night and day. She doesn't have that like nasal draw. My favorite movie of all time is yeah. Ghostbusters. No, and it's it's she doesn't sound like her herself in that movie Jimmy at all. Jimmy Melnitz. Yes. We got one. No, she doesn't sound like that at all. No, she doesn't sound Long Island. Exactly. Exactly right. I'm um, allowed to say that. We're from here. Yeah. And we know a lot of people who act and sound that way. Um, well, anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, Andy, I like Andy because, you know, Andy's just a kid. He's just a little boy. And I, w- the brilliance of this film is that for all intents and purposes, it's a male-driven movie in that the main character in human form is a little boy. The villain is another little boy. The two toys that are the main characters... It's a buddy comedy. It's a buddy comedy. They're both males. But this is a film that everybody likes because I think that everybody, whether you're a boy or a girl, can relate, as I said earlier... To this entire situation, it's just a kid playing with his toys, and he loves his toys, and he care about he cares about his toys. We all do, and that's part of where the whole Sid thing kind of freaks me out because you said it before. Sid is a complete sociopath. Yeah, and I remember watching this film for the first time, and even watching it now, it's like, who would actually do this to their toys? Who would intentionally break their toys, other than like? You know, you threw an action figure down because you were having a temper tantrum, but you didn't intentionally break it. It just happened to happen. I I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I do, but I think he's just such a brilliant addition to this movie. Because let's say you had some, like, geeky kid next door who liked to run science experiments. 
it's not the same. It's not scary. It's it's not scary. It, he's not torturing the toys. And you also do, although we still don't know how he ordered a rocket through the mail, you need that because they deliver on it in the end. Right. You need that rocket. You do. And it's that much sweeter when you see this kid get his comeuppance. No, and the the line is so so play nice. Yeah, after his head spins and does a full circle. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's so no, and, and even how they they get into that part too when he starts doing his catchphrases as if his string was pulled. It it's so brilliant that whole scene is, and the, the toys coming up out of the sandbox and the mud like they're zombies. It's really well done. Yeah. So I think. You know, to your point, too, you have to make Sid kind of that crazy and that evil for the comeuppance to work, too. Because otherwise, what they're doing is pretty horrible. You're going to traumatize a kid for the re- the rest of their life. Oh, he deserves it. He does. But that there it is. And that's that's why you, you need him to deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that. The film or uh, the the mu- uh, the music in this film, the music's insane. For a movie that is not a musical, this has some of the most iconic songs in the catalog. Yeah, I mean, you've got a friend in me. You know that's that's up there with Hakuna Matata, Part of Your World, Under the I was Sea. Going to say anything that Alan Menken's ever done. Yeah, be our guest. I mean, throw throw a dart at any of the you know bare necessities, yeah. any any of the iconic Disney songs. This one's right at the top of the list with any of them. A dream is a wish your heart makes. It's this 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 song is right there with all of them. No, and I was gonna say, oddly enough, that's one that I strongly associate with the parks too. You hear it a lot in the parks. Yeah, and not just. I mean, I I love Midway Mania. That is one of my hands down one of my favorite rides um but i feel like you do hear it a lot in the parks i don't know i just it's it's one of those things it's it's kind of like ingrained yeah definitely and what i what's amazing is that as you pointed out it's not a musical but the songs depict exactly what you're seeing on the screen but it doesn't come off as being cheesy or on the nose no and like strange things are happening and i i happen to love that song too i think it's so good like i i love the beat and i i think the lyrics are so smart but i i think for a non-musical there's only three songs but you kind of did need them yeah because i had said it before the rest of the toys are beating it to death that Woody feels like he's being replaced. So it kind of worked from Andy's perspective to just do it as a montage. And that's the other thing. Like Andy's not going to articulate what he's going through either. He's a kid. He's just into his new toy. He's, he's not going to talk about the struggle between, well, I feel bad that I'm ignoring Woody, you know? Right. It's just kind of, he's just going forward. And I think Randy Newman did an amazing job um, and I think you look no further than I will go sailing no more. What a, I mean, it's not a long song, but it emotes so much. It's that song is so powerful. That's the exact word I was going to use. It it's puts crazy that, powerful. It puts that scene over the top. 
when when Buzz jumps to go fly, and for that split second, you think he might actually pull it off, but when he starts to descend and you see his face fall and his look turns to desperation followed by confusion, and then, you know, he kind of settles with what has just happened, that in conjunction with that song and those lyrics it it really does put the whole scene over the top and it sells it so well i think that's one of those scenes you definitely appreciate more as an adult because as a kid you realize that he's falling but i think that look of shock and disbelief is less about oh i'm gonna crash and more about i can't actually do this yeah i think it's more of that realization is coming to terms with he's not who he thinks he he is and i think that the songs i mean yes they are they are disney songs it's of course in a disney film but they're unique in that they don't sound like a lot of the other songs that you've heard in a disney movie before because it's not based off a fairy tale mm-hmm. you know it's it's not an animal that's doing it it's you know some of the things that you've seen Disney do time and time again where I don't want to say it became formulaic because each each movie is unique each song is unique whether it's the Sherman Brothers or Randy Newman or Alan Menken or Tim Rice and Elton John or Howard Ashman they're all so very different but eventually you kind of associate them with with Disney this to me has its own unique sound all of it all of it does. Agree. Well, because I, th- I think mostly because it's not a character that's singing it, and Randy Newman is so unique himself in in his voice; it stands out. You know, I think that's probably what it is more than anything else. Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think it would have done a disservice to this film if you had the characters just break out into song. Agreed. Um, so I don't think being a straight out musical would have done anything for the story whatsoever. Um, But I think you did need the music. Um, And these songs were not only so well done, but just so strategically placed. And I think what makes them so great is that they almost sound like they belong in a Western. Like, to me, it does have a little bit of that, like, not not really a country twang and not like a southern rock but like there's just something about it that i could kind of see it being in a western movie and i love that it pulls from that because that's what these two characters are is that you're pulling from the the wild west with woody's cowboy and the you know the western frontier of of space right um do you have anything else to add on this before we move on to our final uh, say on the film? Uh, I do, um, because we did not hit on Pizza Planet at all, and there are just a couple of things that I want to mention, because okay. I think the set is so brilliant. I think that that is such a 90s thing, whether as a kid and there are a lot of people who don't know what I'm about to talk about, whether you went to Chuck E. Cheese or Discovery Zone or Spaceplex or whatever it was. Oh, I miss Spaceplex. There were so many 
arcade slash laser tags slash sports plus pizza. Yeah, that was such a 90s thing. And there's hardly anything like that that's left anymore. I, now you got like those trampoline places, and there were th- in the '90s, kids. There were three yeah. places you went for yeah. a birthday party. You either went to an arcade slash pizza place, or you played laser tag, or you went to like a plaster fun craft and you painted things. Exactly. Or or maybe a movie. Or the other big thing was the roller rink. Okay, so you had four things. Yeah. But this this was a big one. So it's so of its time. It doesn't I don't think it dates the movie. I just think it it, it just represents you know what we knew. And it's so clever to the story because Buzz thinks he's going home. Um so I thought that was really really clever. Um one of those really great attention to detail uh things that Pixar did was um, their disguises when they go into Pizza Planet and Buzz is in the hamburger case and Woody is in the paper cup and it's just so smart because based on you know their size and stature how they fit and how they move in those two things I just think it's so clever because Woody's got longer legs and he's taller but he can only move his feet because the cup has kind of got him a little restricted yeah and Buzz is running around you know and his legs are really sticking out the bottom there so I just I thought that was really clever and I love the whole scene leading up to it at the gas station um and this is you know I, I kind of think this may play into the fourth one a little bit is because when they are at the gas station, all Woody cares about is getting back to Andy. He doesn't even care that he's almost run over by a truck. His thing is there's a person present. I need to look plastic. So he, you know, he just crumbles and he almost gets run over by an 18 wheeler. And, um, He's not seeing the big picture, but Buzz is because he realizes this is not about Andy anymore. It's that we're lost and anything could happen to us. Right. And it's a really interesting role reversal because at the end of the movie, Buzz has all but given up at Sid's house and he's just ready to accept his fate. And Woody is the one who sees the big picture and he's like, no, we need to get out of this situation and convinces Buzz to go back to Andy and then Buzz realizes what it's all about and that maybe being a toy is not such a bad thing and I belong to someone who cares about me because he looks at his foot that's got Andy written on it. Right. Um, so I, I just think, you know, the gas station is such an underrated scene when he's like, you're a toy. And, um, you know, eventually, like I said, there is that role reversal and I think that's going to come into play in the fourth one, because now we know Andy went off to college. He left his toys to, I think, a friend of the family. Uh, and we kind of don't know what happens to them between then and the fourth one. I'm sure we're going to find out. But I think part of this is going to be, you know, for as much as I don't think we needed it. And I was okay ending with and with Andy going off to school I'm kind of interested as to how they're going to explore Woody kind of 
it's almost like Woody's an empty nester now. And I think that's kind of how it's going to go and that he's going to have to learn that your sole purpose wasn't just Andy. You can make a lot of kids happy. Yeah, I guess I, I still don't think it's necessary. I'm hoping that a month from now I'm sitting here and I've changed my tune. I agree. No, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessary, but I'm just saying, I guess I'm making my prediction now is that I think this is where they're going to build from and they laid the groundwork so I can live with that. I I agree with you. I had said it at the top of the episode. This is probably one of the ones that I'm least looking forward to because A, I don't feel like we really need it, but it's not like Avengers where it's like, you know, it's been building and building to this and we have to find out what happens and who dies, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's not like Aladdin where it was like, is it going to do the animation of justice? By the way, it does. Oh, my God. Um, this is just, I mean, they, they haven't let us down before, so I don't have a reason to not have faith in this one. Uh, final thoughts on this one before we uh, move on to little bit of news from the week um love it I, I i don't i don't know what else to say i i will tell you that i remember the first time i saw this movie distinctly and my father took my brother and i to the movies to go see it and we got into his van we had a gladiator van that had the vcr in it but we would keep a bucket. It was a, a Ringling Brothers popcorn bucket. Now, we would keep that popcorn bucket in the back of his van with some toys because we used to go upstate every weekend. We had a place upstate New York. Um, so it was like a two-and-a-half-hour drive to get there. So we would um, play with toys because you didn't always want to watch a movie. And one of the things that we would always do was stop at Burger King because there was a Burger King like in between our place upstate and our our house here so that was the halfway point and that's where it's like oh we're gonna have a snack and get through the rest of the drive and it was around that time that they were doing uh burger king kids meal toys for this film so we had woody and buzz and we had mentioned to my own we're, we're in the car after the movie and my dad's going on about it and on and on and on because my dad's a big disney fan and he's i can't believe what we just saw that's the most unbelievable movie i've ever seen and i was like he's like you know we got he goes why don't we go to toys r us right now let's go buy some of the toys and i was like we actually have a couple of them and he's like what he literally pulled the car over <laughs> and said show me and he held up Buzz Lightyear, and you could push a button on Buzz, and the wings would come out, and he just started laughing, like giggling like a child. <laughs> he was like, it's Buzz Lightyear. I'm like, yeah. He, he was almost more excited about it than we were. And when the movie came out um, on VHS, again, it's the things in my mind that I'll never forget. The Yankees had just won the 1996 oh World Series. My dad and my mom took me out of school. I didn't go to school that day. I was in the fourth grade. Took me into Manhattan, and we watched the Yankee ticker tape parade. After the parade was done, we took the train back to Long Island, and we went to Toys R Us. Because this is the best day ever. Because for whatever reason, I don't know if it's that they were the only ones that had it or if they had it on sale, but we had to go to Toys R Us to get a copy of Toy Story. This was the day the movie came out on VHS. And it was not me. 
It was my dad <laughs> on the train for 90 minutes say telling my mother, Mary Ellen, you don't understand. You have to watch this movie. We're not going home without this tape. And and it was like having another kid in the car. And she was like, fine, we'll go buy the tape. And we wa- we got home and we watched it and she was blown away too. This movie was iconic from its release. And I feel confident in saying it's the second most significant uh, animated film ever made. I think Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is the most significant animated film ever made. And this one is right behind it. Um, it's funny you do bring that up because, yeah, my parents always enjoyed Disney movies and obviously we were raised on them, but I remember this was the first one of them being like really wowed by. I mean, like we, we had seen Lion King in the theaters and they loved it and they thought it was amazing. And obviously like Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, sure. Like they were staples in our household. They knew them. They enjoyed them. But this was the first one I think that really impressed them. And to your other point about it being one of the most significant animated films, I agree with you 100%. This is one of those things that I often think about, you know, when I, either when I see a Disney film or like when we're in the parks is what would Walt think of this? And if there was like a top three things that I would love for him to see, you know, that his legacy left this would be at the top of the list. Yeah, I th- I think that he would have a blast with this film if he was able to sit and watch it. It's it's just one of those things where I, I'd love to sit him down and just be like, look what you did. Yeah. Just, you know, from a, from a storytelling standpoint and from, you know, laying the groundwork to push the technology forward to to achieve something like this. This is one of those films that, if he were alive and you could sit there and watch with him, that old quote of it all started with a mouse, that would there be, yeah. that's that's it. But yep. we're interested in knowing what you guys think of Toy Story. Um, and let's throw it out there to you. If you could watch one Disney animated film with Walt Disney, what would it be? Let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. News this week, there are actually two things we wanted to talk about. One we found is very interesting, and the other one, of course, is like the, probably the biggest news of the decade in terms of Disney, um, and that's the opening of Galaxy's Edge. Um, that opened up just a few days ago. Um, people waited overnight <laughs> to get in. Um, did you see the, uh, the photographs and the videos, 5.15 in the morning, what the line was like at Disneyland? I, uh, no, I did not. It, just a mob. But from what I understand, everybody was at least civil and calm. I haven't heard any nightmare stories of people going crazy. I would really hope because people have been very excited for this. And it is such a, you know, it, it's a world of its own. So I, I would hope that people are civil and just excited and happy to be there. And I think that for the people that attended on a media end, they did a phenomenal job. Um, I say the the name Lou Mangiello. Everybody knows who he is. He did a great job. He was live streaming. He did some really nice videos. Um, John Sakari, yeah, Big I was Fat say Panda, Panda too, who, did a lot. He he had a lot of videos that that he had put up. Um, 
I'm not sure if he had somebody there that was shooting them or if that these were videos that he had gotten from Disney specifically, but John was really good. He was on top of it. As soon as that media ban was lifted, John was just posting, 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 posting. Um, And it was a lot of fun to watch. And then to watch the dedication and to have all of them there. And I got to say, even I got a lump in my throat when Harrison Ford came out and they told him, you know, you're going to turn on, for all intents and purposes, you're going to fix and turn on the Millennium Falcon. And right before he does it, he turns, he looks at the camera and he goes, Peter, this is for you. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. It was, it was something else. And anybody I know that has gone there has just gushed over it. Absolutely gushed over it. Yeah, from what I've seen, it it looks pretty amazing. And I'm not even the biggest Star Wars fan, but... I'm not an Avatar fan either, and Pandora knocked my socks off. Yeah. Suffice to say, I can't wait to see for myself and be there in the flesh and fly the Millennium Falcon. I just can't wait. I've wanted to fly the Millennium Falcon since I was seven years old. So I'm finally going to get And now you get to, thanks to Disney Magic. Yes. And then the other bit of news was something that you had come across, actually. Well, two things, actually. Oh, okay. um, to no one's surprise, Aladdin is the number one movie in the world. And uh, ab- absolutely, 100% yes. There, there's no question about it. Um, I mean, box office numbers, obviously, is what I'm referring to. But um, it was amazing. We did get to see it uh, last week. And uh, not only were we pleasantly surprised, I mean, it exceeded every expectation Uh, We loved it. So we did a monoreel in a minute. It's on our Instagram if you want to go check out our brief review. And eventually we'll give it the full treatment. Um, But yeah, all of you doubters of Will Smith, go give it a chance. And um, the other interesting thing that I came across was an article uh, that this couple managed to do every ride in every park in one day. And there's a lot of people saying that it's now, not... This is in Orlando. Yes, in Orlando. Yeah. All f- so all four parks in one day. Without fast passes. Without fast passes, yes. Um, and a lot of people are saying it's not true. I think you can do it. I think it depends on a couple of things. If you're not using fast passes, I think it can be done if, depending on the time of year you go, if it's a slower time of year when there's less lines, okay. Um... If you line up your magic hours correctly, you're going to need like an 8 o'clock open in one of the parks and you're going to need like Magic Kingdom magic hours until 2 a.m. And probably spend from like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. just in Magic Kingdom alone. And if you do single rider and maybe just pack like a backpack full of snacks, I think it can be done if you don't stop for food. And if we didn't love the food so much, I would like to accept that challenge, but I'm not willing to give up churros and Mickey ice cream to go pull this off. I agree. And I just, (laughs) I like the pace in which we do the parks. No, I'm not giving up the tequila cave just to say that I made it around. Uh Uh-uh. No, absolutely not. Um, But I mean, hey, good on them for figuring it out. I mean, if they they pulled it off, I mean, it's that's I'm impressed. It's not something that I am trying to accomplish, but I'm impressed. If we were APs, I might go for it. Yeah. If you weren't so precious about it or if it was like you got two days, make it count. Yeah. That would be another thing. But if anyone would like to go and accept this challenge and try and get all rides in all four parks in, get in touch with me. 
um, I'd be really interested to hear on how you plan to do it. Uh, but I'm happy to book your trip. So you can either DM us on our social media or email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We will be back next week where we discuss Toy Story 2. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.